0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring 20's podcast. Today, we have a really, really cool guest, Jessie Jean. She is a certified eating psychology coach, and she specializes in mind-body eating coaching. She's the founder of Rise With Me, which includes her Food Freedom Masterclass, and she's the host of the Dear Body Podcast, and she's going to tell us about all those things. So, hi, Jessie. Thanks for being here. Thank you guys so
1: much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. We're so excited to have you. I'm sure listeners by now are like, finally, we're having Jessie on. I think I mentioned
0: her maybe once every episode. (laughs) At least once every episode. Everyone's like, Who is Jessie? There's so much she keeps she's talking real. about. And, <laughs> and here she is.
1: She's real. We're so excited to have her. I have mentioned before, and you guys will definitely have already heard a little bit about my story on from Monday's episode, but I met Jessie by actually scrolling across social media and coming across her page and <laughs> reading her captions and saying, oh my gosh, I this woman is inside my brain. She's saying everything that I feel and she's making me feel like I'm not crazy, like I'm not alone. And and something about Jesse's energy and warmth just always made me think that this person could help me. And although it feels crazy to sign up at first, and like pay someone who you met through Instagram to help you heal your long, dramatic experience of food and body. I felt that I could trust Jessie, especially after having my first phone call with her and having her learn more about me. And it, it just was the best decision I've ever made. And now a year later, we talk about different things, you know, and every time that I get coaching from her, it's become more like relationship advice and um, sharing some exciting stuff. So the conversation has shifted. And I'm just so excited to know her and to have learned from her and she's changed my life. So thank you,
2: Jesse. You have been an amazing human being to get to know, Brenda, and your audience is so lucky to have you, both of you gals, to share your light and your love and your wisdom, and it has been truly my greatest honor to see your transformation and to be involved in it, and I always talk with my team, and we, we joke, it's like, how do we have so, how are there so many awesome women? You no, know, by this point, working with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of women, I'm like, you'd think there'd be a bad apple, but we just haven't <laughs> attracted that. And I think it's so much to do with character like yours, Brenda, people who are just light and love and determined and passionate to themselves so that they can heal the world around them too. So um, thank you for trusting me and taking the leap and having me on your podcast.
1: So Jesse, why don't you, in your own words, tell us about yourself, who you are, how old you are, where you're from? Yeah, absolutely. So
2: I am a recovered Perfectionist, binge eater, overeater, emotional eater, yo yo dieter. I tried everything. I was a uh, recovered, I hate my body person. I lived in such insecurity and such fear around my body and food and that was my life for over a decade and it has now become my mission to help women out of those cycles because I know the pain of being in that place. I know how devastating it is, how exhausting it is, how um, really just frustrating and debilitating it is to our life, to our dreams, to our mm-hmm. goals. It seeps into every area of who we are and it has become so much of my world to to serve women who are struggling with this um, because I know what it's like. i I'm 29 years old. I dealt with it for 10 years. I feel like it stole so much of my, my teen years and my early 20s, just being so consumed in this struggle. I rem- remember at one point in college, I, I was questioning whether life was even worth it. I was so exhausted from, from being in these cycles and making promises to myself to never binge again, never overeat, never do these things, and then snapping and spiraling out of control. And I had so much insecurity around who I was, around what my body looked like, around if I was going to be accepted, if I was ever going to find a partner and it was just controlling my entire life. And so I eventually threw lots and lots of struggle and turmoil and trial and error. I went to therapy and Overeaters Anonymous. I tried different programs, different diets, different coaches, all of these things to try and find my way out. I finally did dig my way out of that mental hellhole and I've come to this place of such beautiful peace in my own mind, peace with food, peace with my body. I feel secure in who I am. I, of course, struggle. I have different insecurities. I have different fears, different things that I deal with. I am human, but my struggles are no longer with food and body. I live free. I live easy with food and body and that. That is. That's really so, so such a big part of who I am. I'm also a wife to an amazing man. I've been married um, for a few years now, and I have a dog, Bear. He's my little my little child. We have been want children, but we don't have any children yet. And we live here in Denver, Colorado.
0: So amazing. cool. <laughs>
2: That's amazing, Jesse. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. I wish you guys could like see Jesse's face. She's so she's like so radiant. She she's just such so light <laughs> from through the computer. I can just tell. Um, <laughs> thank you for sharing that, Jesse, and I'm sure we're going to get deeper into that. Um, but I kind of want to start really at the beginning for for anybody who doesn't know, because I kind of feel like we hear this word "disordered eating" thrown around a lot, and for a lot of people, I think their mind just goes to like anorexia or bulimia, which is the ones that we're kind of taught about. Yeah. Um, but can you kind of give a definition to what disordered eating is for anyone that doesn't really? understand that term? Yeah, absolutely. So I always, you know, we'll say things like binge eating or eating
2: disorders or disorder eating. And I agree, people do get very confused. And, you know, they think, well, I've never been diagnosed. I've never been put in a, you know, in a hospital. I've never been in an inpatient treatment program. I've never, you know, gotten to these places of being so in, in entirely emaciated. I look like what some of us picture an eating disorder to look like. Um, and what I always tell people is instead of even trying to to classify, do I have an eating disorder or struggle with disordered eating? Instead, just ask yourself some really simple questions. And and this gives clues to if there's anything that's unhealthy in your relationship with food. And I think it's also very toxic to label ourselves as a disordered eater, eater or having a, an eating disorder or classifying ourselves as a binge eater, emotional eater. And I'll use these terms in, you know, in my social media when I'm talking to people, because it's the thing that they understand. But I don't like labeling ourselves at all. And I was never formally diagnosed by, you know, by a medical professional with my my struggles with food. And most people who struggle with food are never formally diagnosed either. And so so instead of trying to, you know, determine, well, do I do I have these tendencies, just ask yourself, do I, do I deal with food anxiety? Do I sometimes feel this compulsion or this impulse to do things with food that I intellectually know I don't wanna do or do I feel guilty after I eat? Am I afraid of food? Do I feel like sometimes I'm spiraling out of control with food? Do I think about food all of the time, whether in the forefront of my mind or the back of my mind? Do I have a bunch of food rules and restrictions in place that make me feel a sense of safety and control because I don't feel like I can just listen to my body? And so we can start answering some of those questions. And if the answer is yes, or maybe, or kind of, that is you're worthy of help and support in getting to a place where it's easy. Because waking up in the morning and having your first thought be about food and wondering, did I eat too much? Should I eat more? Should I um, do I need to exercise for what I made? You know, for for what I ate? All of those types of things are incredibly unhealthy. They're exhausting, and they're not how you're designed to be. So, and and a lot of women, except a lot of individuals, not just women. I personally work with women, but A lot of individuals kind of accept that maybe that's just how it is. It's normal to binge eat or it's normal to overindulge and then feel a bunch of guilt and shame and fear and then want to restrict and, and going on and off these diets is just normal. And the reason a lot of people think that is because it's so common, but it's not normal. It's not how we were designed. And the weight loss industry, the diet industry, has made us believe that it's our lack of willpower, it's our lack of discipline, we just need this next diet or this next thing in order to find balance, and so, so many people live on these live in these cycles for years and years and years and decades. People go to their grave all the time having dealt with this their entire life, which is absolutely devastating. And so when that question comes up, you know, I don't really know if I'm an emotional eater or a binge eater. You know, I've binged before. I've emotionally eaten before. I've restricted before. I say, don't even worry about trying to identify what you are because it's not necessary in order for you to get help. It's just identifying, I don't feel... I don't feel peace with food. I feel controlled by food. And if you can answer yes
1: to that, then there's some things that that can be done so you can get to a place of peace. Yeah, and I I really appreciate jesse that approach and having that mindset and sharing that with the world and everyone that comes across her page because i think so often people do have this mentality of oh i don't look sick enough or Mm -hmm. i'm i'm i can't possibly fit into that category and i know for myself i really had those thoughts and i said well how could this be like if i were to tell someone that i have these thoughts and feelings how how could i possibly like who would believe me you know but the big thing that that ultimately resonated with me is that this affects every single day of my life and it's all I'm thinking about. So I, I really appreciate her bringing that further than what you normally hear about and know. And Jesse, would you be comfortable? Something that I really think would be impactful is I feel like you share so much and are so vulnerable with your followers and with people in your course and everything, but I feel like people are curious to know a little bit more about your story and your background. Um, would you mind sharing your story and what life was like before recovery for you? How much time do we have (laughs) (laughs) Um, for you as much time? (laughs) uh, Yeah,
2: I can definitely share. So, um, my struggle with food. A lot of people struggle with food. Um, you know, it, it's a product of dieting. It can be a product of a number of different things, but a lot of people start because they hate their body and and or they're uncomfortable in their own skin, and then they feel this need to control food, and then things spiral out of control. That's how a lot of people get their start in an unhealthy relationship with food. There's there's many other ways, but that's a pretty popular one. Now, my my backstory. The way that my relationship with food started to go south, because the reality is we're all born as natural, normal, intuitive eaters. When we're babies. We cry when we're hungry and we lose interest in that bottle when we're full. And that's normal. That's that's our body saying, "Okay, you're done," and we naturally lose interest. And that's how we're designed to keep functioning. But as we grow and grow into consciousness and we feel pressure from society, we stop connecting with those hunger and fullness cues. And a lot of times, and I'm just sharing this because I want people to understand that everybody's journey is different and you'll see how mine kind of fits into the greater scope of things. But Um, a lot of people, their relationship with food, you know, you know, Brenda, a lot of the women in our course have had an unhealthy relationship with food from the time they're four or five years old. So they're not even fully conscious yet, but they've been brought up in environments where they already feel like they don't fit in and it starts to spiral out of control. For me, I didn't even have a concept of my body image until I was in high school. Like it wasn't even a concept. I didn't look in the mirror and think, oh, you're pretty or oh you're ugly or oh you're this or oh you're that it was just that's what it was it was just my reflection in the mirror and that was it i had no concept of good or bad you know skinny or fat ugly or beautiful like none of that until i got into high school i have always been a perfectionist that's what i labeled myself for so long fortunately i feel i feel like i have detached that label but i got into high school and i come from a very Poor family. We were poor growing up. And um, I have wonderful parents. But they did say if you ever want to go to college, you have to understand that you're going to need to get scholarships in order for that to happen because we don't have the means. None of my parents have been to college. And so I knew I didn't want to grow up in the same situation. I wanted out of that situation. I wanted to create abundance. And so in high school, I became laser focused on doing absolutely everything I could perfectly as best I could. School, academics, volunteering, faith-based activities. You know, I was in cheer. I was in gymnastics. I worked. I tried to do everything and do it perfect. I wanted to be the best at everything because I wanted to look completely ro- well rounded for scholarships when that time came. And so, with that mentality, I gave myself no break. I gave myself no pass. It was unacceptable for me to have anything in my mind. This wasn't even my parents. They would often tell me, like, Jess, do you want to skip school today and just relax? Like, do you take a break? And I'm like, no, I can't. I have this test and I have this thing. And so, it just became something that I adopted. And because of that, I didn't have a lot of time to sleep. So starting my freshman year, I I would do schoolwork after I got done with cheerleading and sports and extracurriculars I would have my schoolwork and I would I was taking advanced courses and by the time I was midway through my freshman year of high school I was probably sleeping for maybe five hours a night I was staying up until I got my project done and done to the very best it could be and I would study I would wake up super early and I would go work out um, with the football team beforehand I loved sports when I was in high school and I was just so so driven and so I wasn't getting enough sleep. And and because of that, I was getting more and more and more tired. And so I took up coffee and, and caffeine, and that kind of became my first addiction for energy. But when that wasn't working, when I wasn't getting enough energy from caffeine, I started to turn to food. Um, I needed energy to keep going. I was being sluggish. I, I needed energy. And so I started to turn to food to give me energy. And I did that, and I was able to make it through, make it through. And then at the end of my sophomore year, going into junior year, I was, and I was the, I was the cheer captain. I was just like, I loved it all. And I was moved from being a flyer, one of the top girls in stunts that are thrown in the air to a base because I, I was growing, I was getting bigger. And there was, you know, smaller freshmen that were coming in that were, you know, much lighter, much easier to put up in the air and couldn't hold me up in the air. And that was the first time it was right around, probably, I was probably even starting to feel it. Feel it my um my sophomore year starting starting to feel this pressure of whoa like I really loved being on the top of stunts it was so fun it was what I had trained for and I felt like I was somehow being taken out of the spotlight and my body was the reason for that my body was the problem mm-hmm. and so I started to think about well what do I have to do to fix that and so I started to work out more and, I, and eat less. And I didn't even understand. I don't even think I understood the word binging or binge eating or eating disorders. Like that wasn't even in my awareness at that time either. We didn't have social media when I was in high school. Like, you know, and I grew up in a small mountain town. Like I didn't even have this awareness. And those cycles started to, to start. I would restrict and restrict and restrict. And then I would snap. I was exhausted. I was hungry. And I would just gorge. And I didn't know what I was doing. Like, it wasn't like, oh, you're binging right now. I just knew that I was eating a ton and I felt really embarrassed and I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing. And so those cycles started to continue and continue and to continue. And then it started to become like more in the forefront of my mind. Like, whoa, I think there's a problem here. Continued into college. And I thought, well, once I'm on my own and I can control the food situation a little bit, we always ate really healthy at home. But I just felt like, well, once I'm on my own and I can control things more, it's going to get better. Well, I got into college and it just got harder. And the first couple years of college, I was majoring in dance and in the dance world on a collegiate level, there's a lot of pressure. And especially in the more traditional disciplines of ballet, so much pressure to look a certain way. There's, you know, these very traditional teachers that come from overseas and, you know, they want you to look a certain way and they'll tell you straight to your face if you don't. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And so the pressure continued and I lived with dancers and they, they were all struggling with eating disorders. I know that. Um, and so it just the cycles continued. I would binge. I would spiral out of control. I'd feel so guilty and I kept trying different diets. I finally in college was like, this is a problem. I have a problem problem. And, and that's when I started to look into help because I was so anxious and I was so afraid. So I started to put myself in therapy. I checked out overeaters anonymous, which I only knew about that because, um, people in my life had dealt with alcoholism and I had heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I knew that there was something for food. So I found that my therapist told me about that. I started going to that almost daily. I had a sponsor who would help monitor what I was eating as if that was
0: the solution.
2: And yeah, so the, the cycle just continued and continued. And in college, it got to a point where I was like, I don't know if I want to continue living. I'm so tired of this. I'm so exhausted. And I was so insecure. I was afraid to date. I was afraid to put myself out there. And I, I went into the headspace that, well, just, just control food. And when you get out of the pressure of college, when you get your degree and you get into the real world, things will be better then.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so I had this destination addiction, just like I did in high school to get finished with high school is now just get finished with college. And so I grinded and I grinded and I eventually changed career paths and went into sports broadcast. And so then I was hired by our um, Major League Baseball team, the Colorado Rockies, to be the in-game host at the Rockies games. So I was now on screen in front of 50,000 people live in the stadium, and everybody got to see me. And the pressure to look a certain way in front of 50,000 people every single day, there's 80 home games in a season, We would have 10 game homestands every single day. I would be there for four or five hours on screen in front of all these people. That pressure was just another thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking I want to go into I eventually wanted to move out of being an in-game host to being on television and working for a network, but the television hosts they travel with the teams. And I remember telling myself, I can hardly control food when I go on a one-week trip somewhere. There's no way I can travel to multiple cities for 160 some games a season for half a year every year and not completely blow up. And so I was like, I can't pursue this dream of being a sports broadcaster because I won't be able to control food. Yeah. So
1: yeah, that's, I mean, I know that's long winded but though that was a lot of my struggle. Definitely. And something that really stood out to me. First of all, I just learned so much about you that I didn't know. So I think your your followers will definitely appreciate learning all this. But um, something that really stood out to me about what you shared is that you said, How can I fix this about your body? How can I fix this when somebody identifies to you, honestly, maybe with not even saying it to you, but does something that you internalize a certain way and then our first thought is how can I fix this? And it's just so interesting because we're constantly looking to fix something. And once you start internalizing that as as your body and something being wrong with your body, it just starts to be more and more of a thought. And the Mm -hmm. biggest way that we think, how can we change something is what can we control? And I think you did end up later on pursuing something bodybuilding, right? Yeah. Um, Yep. And the reason that I was thinking about that is because myself... I also, after graduating college, said, okay, well, what can I, what can I do? How can I, of course, inspire people, but also um, how can I help get myself under control without identifying that anything was wrong? Um, Mm I'm like, oh, I should sign up and I should probably work at a weight loss center to help keep my weight under control. So it's interesting that we push dreams for this thing that could, that could be healed. And I don't think everybody realizes that that's possible. Yeah, I, I, I then went from
2: um, doing that. To, I, I did a couple other things, but I eventually then became a personal trainer. Because at the point, you get so sucked into your disordered eating and working out that you start to learn, you know, so much. And I was like, well, yeah. I might as well might this, my, mm-hmm. my path now, because I know so much about food and so much about working out. And so I pursued personal training. And then I got into bodybuilding, thinking the pressure of having to be on stage in a bikini would for sure fix my problems. I would for sure get to my goal. And, and then I would, you know, I'd be so disciplined that I could never be derailed. And so that was my thought process. And so, yeah, I totally forfeited my goals and it became so much of my world. I then decided to make it my career because that was the only way I could give enough attention to it in order to maintain it and get to where I wanted with it, I had to give it my whole life, my career, my, you know, my, it was my extracurricular, it was my everything. Um, And then eventually, I learned programming work and was introduced to a bunch of different people and got the support that I needed. And I was able to evolve out of that and get to this place of balance eventually. But yeah, it was a really, a really long journey. And yeah, like you said, Brenda, a lot of trying to control
0: and fit, yeah, Jesse. thank you so much for, for being so vulnerable and sharing that because I think that there's a lot of women who are struggling and I think just hearing somebody else's story is so powerful to say, oh, okay, it's not just me. Like there's nothing wrong with me. Other people deal with this too. And I really think that there's so much power in that. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. And obviously, luckily, thank God you've found recovery and you actually now have even turned it into... Into a business helping other women find recovery. So, can you tell us about what made you want to make your life and your life's work helping other women find recovery and what your programs are and how they work? Can you tell us all about that?
2: Totally, yeah. So, um, at the point of, there were so many points in my journey where I felt like quitting, as in quitting life, like hitting the exit button on life. Um, And by, By the time I finally crawled my way out, I went from like my eating and fitness journey went from, you know, extreme meal plans to learning about calorie counting to macro tracking to flexible dieting to wait a second, I can reverse diet out of this to there's this thing called intuitive eating. And so it was definitely a process of just learning and growing and evolving and that by the time I finally made it out of this hell hole, and when I say made it out, I mean not just got super disciplined or had a bunch of willpower. No, I, I retrained my brain, so I no longer even felt this urge or this impulse to binge. I no longer was trapped in insecurity. My body could ebb and flow. I could gain weight, lose weight. I didn't do, It didn't cause me to go into a deep, dark hole. I felt peace, and getting to that point was such a journey, a journey of many tears, many breakdowns, so much fear, so much doubt, so much overwhelm and skepticism and wondering if it was ever going to work for me or if I was just the one that was entirely broken. And at birth, some wires were crossed in my head and I was never going to find balance. And when I finally did, I felt like I had this moral obligation to tell other women that, look, like this isn't, this, this doesn't have to be how it is. And there truly is a way out. And so that's when I started, I had felt that for a while, for a number of years before I actually pursued doing this because I didn't really want to go. Once I got out of it, I was like, oh, I'm so done with
0: that. Like, I don't want to go back into that world. Right. That's probably uh, like scary in a way of like, well, is it going to bring things up again? Yeah. And it was just such a dark time in my life. I didn't want to go back
2: to it. I didn't yeah, want to totally. experience everything. Other- darkness I'm like oh I was so tiring but I, I kind of ignored that call that I felt I had on my heart um, that I felt like God gave me for years. And it finally was just knocking so loud. I was trying to support people in other way through a lot of mindset coaching and health and wellness coaching, but we were always going back to this issue of food struggles and body image struggles. And so that's when I was like, how can I do this? And I started looking up different career paths and, and credentialing processes and programs so that I could become credentialed to do this and decided, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm only going to help people with this and I'm going to give it every ounce of my heart, and if one person comes and it's it helps one person, it'll be worth it. Because if somebody would have done that for me, I would have I would have felt like I had been my life would be indebted to them. And so I was like, if I can just help one person, then it's going to be worth it. And so I decided to take a leap and say, I'm not going to be a a mindset or a health or a wellness coach. I'm going to help people heal their relationship with food and body, and that's it. And I'm going to give it every ounce of effort I have and. So then uh, that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to build this program and I'm going to take everything that I learned through my credentialing process and through my 10 year struggles. And I'm going to see if what worked for me is going to help other people the way that I think can. And so I let my audience know on social media, I had built a following on social media through sharing my fitness journey. So I'm just going to let them know that I'm doing this and I'm going to, I'm going to launch a program and I'm going to see if anybody comes. And so I launched it and I had 50 people, 50 women sign up for my beta round.
0: Wow. That's a
2: lot right off the bat. Yeah. I was like, all right, guys, I think I'm getting the message here. (laughs) So I said, okay, here we go. And I opened the doors and I said, okay, whoever signs up between, you know, this date and this date, I'm just going to take you and I pour all my energy into you and I'm going to see if what I have in my head is going to help you, and I was so committed to their success and figuring out like, is it going to work the way that I think it's going to work, and I saw woman after woman just start to experience breakthrough oh. and shed the layers, and that's when it was like, okay,
0: jackpot, this is it. Wow! Oh my god, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. So, could you tell us just a little bit about how the program works for anyone that's interested? Yeah, one hundred percent. So
2: it's all online. Everything we do online, we have. Women that we work with from all over the world. It's a four month program and it's a combination of of different elements. One of the main elements of the program is the actual course. They go through and watch videos, have different modules, they have integration homework that's associated with the course. And in these videos, I kind of teach the, the high level concept why you're actually struggling and why you can know all the things but aren't doing what you know you need to do, like what's going on on a science based level. So I teach the science. I teach the techniques and the tools and, and the step-by-step process for how we get out of this place mentally and come to a place of balance but that's not enough because you can know all the knowledge you can have all the tools but you have to be supported in the process because oftentimes throughout the process we feel crazy you feel like you do when you're struggling with the binging and the dieting and being on those cycles you feel crazy and so you need to have support so the other main element of the program is our group coaching calls and so much so like we're doing now we're on zoom we get to see each other face to face again, women all over the world and pop on calls and I help support them in what they're learning in the program and, and share my perspective and coach them along their process. And we do that every single week. We have multiple coaching calls a week. Um, and then the third main component of the program is the community. So I will never sell one-on-one with somebody because of the power of community being in in a sisterhood inside of our private Facebook group and being in accountability groups is really the glue that keeps you going it's the thing that keeps you lifted on the days you don't believe in yourself it's the thing that keeps you taking one step in front of the other when you feel doubt fear skepticism overwhelm when you want to throw in the towel and not move forward it's the thing that that pushes you through the moment and so those are kind of the main elements of the program and how it works it's
1: amazing. It's incredible. And Julia actually just met um, one of my greatest friends, which you guys probably have already listened to the episode, but she just met Arielle, who was on the podcast. She's awesome, too. Yeah, incredible. Um, So those friendships really are real. And actually, before we hopped on here to interview Jesse, we were on a call with some of the girls from the program Um, even you know though we are further along in that journey and it's just so cool how our conversations have shifted from accountability and hey how are you feeling today in terms of food and body and now they're hey how's your family and what fun projects we have going on and it's really beautiful to see how our conversations have just totally shifted from being support to one another to really really being friends and being invested in each other's lives and just being our minds being in a totally different space than they were before. 100%
2: which is so cool that that there's been such a strong community and I feel like well some of my best friends Brenda you and some of the people in the program have really become really good friends to me and then the people on our staff have become some of my best friends and it's just so it's the community is everything and to the woman or man who's listening to this who's struggling I just I, the thing that I always share, and Brenda's heard me say it 500 times, probably 5,000 times at this point, is you have to come out of isolation in order to heal. You have to come into community, mm-hmm. and there's no better community than a community
1: that understands what we sometimes don't even understand, which makes us feel crazy. It's imperative. Definitely. And Jesse, were there any challenges or like hesitations along the way while you were pursuing your business? Um, there is. There's always challenges every day.
2: Building a business is a challenge in, in every type of way. It's a personal challenge. It is a, it's a financial challenge. It's a self-belief challenge. There is, I I tell people building a business will be one of the hardest things that you ever do. And one of the most rewarding things that you ever do. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you effort and you grind and you, you do so much behind the scenes and nobody's cheering for you. You don't have a you don't have a boss who's telling you good job or patting you on the back. You don't have somebody recognizing you or giving you a raise. It's like it is, it is so much done in, I call it in like the dark moments where nobody's there in yeah. order to see a vision come to life. And so there are lots of challenges, the challenges of feeling like, am I good enough to do this? The imposter syndrome, the fear, the financial risks that you take, hiring team members, being responsible for salaries, like all of this is you know, definitely a challenge. And then when you start to work with people in something like what I do, you know, people are highly emotional. So making sure that you're supporting people in the way that they need and holding space in the way that they need and adjusting the program based on the needs of the community are, um, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I, every day is a challenge and it's a challenge that I willingly take on. While I know my husband always jokes when I'm, you know, really tired, he's like, Jess, you could go into real estate or sales or anything. (laughs) You would crush it and you'd be able to leave at five o'clock and turn it off. And I'm like, but I can't. And he's like, but you would miserable. I'm like, I know (laughs) I can't turn it off. It's just, this is something that is, is my life
1: calling. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, was it hard at, when you started, even though you totally rewired your brain and all the things to talk about similar topics that you had mm-hmm. experienced in the past, even with the will to help people and want to help them heal in the way that you did?
2: Um, you know, sometimes certain conversations, you know, that we'll have with clients will trigger memories of mine, you know, sometimes painful memories, but, um, By the time I started the business, I was so far removed from the challenges. Um, And I had felt the calling to go into this for years before I decided to go into it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was so, I was so distanced from it that I finally felt like I can hold space in a way that's really healthy for myself and for other people. So I would, people would say things and I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember what it was like when I would do X, Y, and Z thing. Mm-hmm. And it would take me back to the memory um, and I could feel the pain and I could feel, you know, I could empathize with them. But again, it was so distant that my new normal was so normal to me that I was never triggered by doing, if if that's the question that you're asking, yeah, I, yeah. I was triggered.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that that's so it's so powerful and shows, I think, to an audience, especially someone who's listening and is thinking that this is so out of their reach to think that you could literally live in a world that's surrounded by something like this and and help other people pursue healing and not feel that. When I was healing, it's almost like
2: I was starting to, you know, there's this little light that was coming out of the darkness and that light just got brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter so that when I went back into the darkness of that struggle, my light took over the darkness instead of the darkness taking over the light. And so, um, but at one point in my journey, that would have not been the case. And I think that was probably what I was feeling when I felt like I should help, but it just was, Oh, I don't want to go there. It was like, I'm afraid if I take my little, my little ember into this darkness, I'm going to be swallowed in it. And so, um, yeah, I think by the time I pursued this, I know by the time I pursued this, it just, it was like, no, I'm a, this is the light and like the darkness cannot, cannot affect it.
0: I just think yeah. it's a great example in that, like you mentioned it before, like you are free from that now and it really shows that there is freedom. You can find freedom from your struggle and you can even turn your struggle into your strength. I think that that's what's so uplifting about hearing something like that. It's like you you can pursue all these things and you're calling and you found all this stuff and there's, there's none of that anymore. You truly are free, which is so cool. And Mm -hmm. so Jesse, now you're hosting this like morning routine challenge on your Rise With Me Facebook group. And that's been incredible. Can you talk about Mm -hmm. a little bit about why you wanted to do something like that and what it is that you've been doing? Me and Brenda have been doing it every day it's incredible we talk about morning routines all the time and that's something that we really love um so can you talk a little bit about what you're doing i think it's so cool
2: Yeah, 100%. I I know the power of a morning routine and I also know the power of accountability. And I know that in order to become more of the woman that I want to be and accomplish my goals, I need to be very disciplined in my self-care practices and my morning routine being one of the most powerful practices that I engage in because it sets the tone for my entire day. And so I started this morning, free morning routine challenge selfishly to hold myself accountable to, to doing my morning routine consistently. And I ebb and flow, you know, there were periods where I'd be super, super consistent for months on end. And then, you know, something would happen, my schedule would be interrupted. And then, you know, it would kind of, I'd be doing it at this time and then this time the next day. And I just wanted it to be this appointment that I had on my calendar every single day, Monday through Friday, I treated it as if people were waiting for me to bear which they are that's why like they, <laughs> they literally are waiting um which is funny this morning I thought I had overslept and I was actually a half an hour early and I ran out of my bed oh. and I started the video and I'm like where is everybody oh. and I'm like talking and I'm like wait a second oh my gosh it's 30 minutes early and so
0: yeah um,
2: that was pretty funny yeah um But yeah, it's just such a powerful practice to get in, to set your mind up for success for the day. And so um, I wanted, I want other people to experience the power of that. And I want other people to start to understand how they can take back control of their life. And the mornings are, our brain is most susceptible to change and influence first thing in the morning. And if you get consistent with, we're just doing 12 minutes, if you can be consistent with even 12 minutes, every Mm. single morning, you will experience
0: a a dramatic shift in the quality of your day, hands down. So yeah. Yeah. It's so awesome and I love that it's 12 minutes because it's like it's the it's just the perfect amount of time and knowing I feel like some, like what you said about accountability, like I love morning routine, but sometimes meditation had been really hard for me and knowing that like, okay, like Jesse's going to lead it and I'm just going to sit there and follow what she does. It like on the days, if I would just do it by myself, would be like, oh, well, like whatever. But knowing that like you're there doing it and it's like, okay, well, Jesse's there doing it so I can show up and, and be there doing it. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's great. It, what she does, it's like a meditation and some breathing and some journaling prompting and gratitude. And it's, it's, amazing. It's so cool. And I have my boyfriend doing it with, it, with me. It's awesome. And Jesse's voice is so calming that she says like, it's hi amazing. to people in the car. Con- like when people are logging on, she's like, hi, Becky. Hi, Brenda. And hear my boyfriend sometimes walking around the house being like, hi, Brenda. Hi, Becky. <laughs> He's so weird. I'm like, what are you doing? He'll just be like doing things. He'll so be like, hi, Brenda. Like he just loves you. It's so weird. That's funny. Funny. telling
1: That's that. Great. Thank <laughs> you. He's going to make you cut it out. (laughs) It really is so powerful. And we were, we actually did the opposite on morning routines, I think last week. Mm -hmm. And we were saying that for so long, I was like, nope, I want to stay in bed as long as possible. And you know, I need rest. And of course, rest is important. But I really, I'm not going to pretend that I was like, oh yeah, morning routine is is really important and powerful until I actually tried it. So I feel like for anyone listening who doesn't believe it, don't knock (laughs) until you try it because it has driven dramatically shifted in my life same and it's not even like what you do in the morning routine it's the fact that you get up Mm -hmm. and you're
2: disciplined to carve out 12 minutes for yourself first thing in the morning and set the tone and the intentionality of your day because most people get up and the first thing they do is they grab their phone <laughs> and they start looking at their notifications and scrolling or turn on the news and that is so toxic to our mind we are literally forfeiting all of our mental power over to something else when it is most susceptible and so it's it's there are different techniques that are really powerful to include in a morning routine but even just the act of i'm going to get up and i'm going to take 10 to 12 minutes to to set the tone of my day and to not fit my power to something else is so powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And do you have any daily practices or rituals beyond what you share on the morning routine video that you incorporate? Yeah, so being outside and taking what I call a
2: nature bath, Ooh, um nature job. is so healing yes <laughs> so healing so i go out and multiple times a day i take my dog for a walk and i really just try and bathe in nature and um when i am anywhere besides the city and walking on concrete i will take my shoes off and have my feet touch the earth mm-hmm. and and feel grounded to the earth connected to the earth and um and just walking around looking at nature and and just seeing it seeing that something is living breathing existing um besides the world inside my head keeps me super grounded nature is healing to the soul and so i go out and i do that even on cold days my dog has to go out and so even on cold days all throughout the winter i'll bundle up so i'm warm and i'll go out and i'll just walk and walk and i just try and look at the scene and just take it in look up at the sky and just really appreciate the beauty of the simple things um so that's a a routine and also um daily alignment with my husband so we spend after I get done with my um, morning routine. We spend time together making breakfast, sitting down and talking and we share our intentions for the day. We align with each other for the day. So I know what he's doing. He knows what I'm doing. He knows where I need support. I know where he needs support. Um, And so we share the things that we're grateful for. We share the things that Um, yeah, that are on our agenda for the day and we just align with one another. So that's part of our practices. And then we are both committed to stopping work at a certain time of the day. And so we both do that. So then we can spend time in the evening connecting and just doing lighthearted things, resting, relaxing, enjoying each other's company. Right now we're watching a lot of Netflix because we can't go do anything else being in quarantine. So, So those are some of the other things that I do.
0: I love all of those um, yeah. it's so important to have those rituals and things that give that time to you and to make you feel grounded and because we can be so caught up in everything around us. so I think it's so important um backtracking a little bit jesse if if there was a woman out there listening to this or somewhere else and feeling like they're struggling when it comes to food and body but are hesitant to start to go down that recovery journey. Do you have any advice or like a tangible kind of first step uh, for someone that's a little hesitant about taking that leap and starting, starting to go down that recovery journey?
1: Mm,
2: yeah, I would say allow your mind to explore the possibility that freedom really is available to you, even if you don't physically feel like it's possible. Um, I remember thinking, like, there's no way I can not deal with this. Like the only answer I had in my head was to try and be more disciplined and work harder. Um, and so that was always the thing I had in my head. I have to be more disciplined. I have to work harder in order to overcome this. And the thing that I would say to somebody who's doubting or doesn't know where to start is to first just give your mind permission to dream that freedom is possible and start opening your heart to learning as much as you possibly can through listening to podcasts listening to you know the dear body podcast I share all of you know a lot of the things that we te- I, I don't hold anything back on the podcast like let your mind just start to listen and let your heart absorb the possibility that freedom is for you and allow yourself to start to build in belief and I think the best way to do that is to listen to other people's stories of recovery That's why, you know, once a week on my podcast, I share, uh, you know, one of our clients' stories of recovery because the more we can start to see that this actually works, that belief starts to be built that maybe I too can have freedom. And so um, being in that place, the the first step I would say is come out of isolation, tell somebody, tell somebody that a lot of people keep it a secret and
1: nobody knows first step is telling. someone. Yeah, and I know Jesse on yeah. your podcast, you have an episode on how to kind of share that with someone. And then I think you just recently released an episode on, uh, for I think one of your loved ones to listen to. So yeah. I think
0: this would be a really good place to start. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Everyone go over there next. Go listen to them. <laughs> that's awesome. And Jesse, thank you so much. You've shared so many powerful tips and he- hearing your story has been so incredible for me and I'm sure it will be for so many other people. We just have two little last questions before we let you go because we've already used so much of your valuable time. Um, but has there been any resource? and this doesn't ha- it doesn't have to be related to food and body or it can be? Has there been any resource in your life? that has helped you through your 20s thus far? Mm, Through my 20s. Oh, there's been so many
2: that have helped me through my so many different things. My 20s were a crazy time in my life. (laughs) I reinvented myself probably 20 different times in the span of those 10 years, probably more. Um, I think one of the resources was not being afraid to ask for help. And so I always tried to get help that I, I, I didn't know anything about therapy and I was determined to get help for myself. And so I researched and looked it up and I was scared to death, shaking on my drive to my first therapy appointment and, and getting support and community in a number of different ways has definitely been a resource that's helped me through my twenties, 100%. I've just let go of ego. Um, I did that a lot in my twenties. I I was always battling my ego and still to this day, we all battle, battle our egos every single day. But, um, I, I, one of the things I wouldn't let my ego do is keep me from asking questions. Even if I'm like, Oh, this is embarrassing or this is stupid. It was like, no, I want to get further ahead and I know I need support. Um, and then another one, another resource was myself, giving myself permission to reinvent myself as many times as I wanted was like, okay. I'm now um, selling Mary Kay, and I did that for a while. And that's not who I am. Now I am a sports broadcaster. Okay, this is awesome. Oh no, nope, that's not who I am. Now I am this, and I just I just surrendered that identity, and it was it was great because it gave me a lot of um, a lot of really fun experiences. But if I felt shackled to a certain path or a certain identity, I don't think I'd be where I'm at now.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. A lot of people need to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we started this podcast. It's because like everyone, like their 20s are so crazy and everyone's in different places. And do we really know who we are yet? And so I think that that was just like so beautifully put because I think that most of our audience really feels that on a very deep, deep level. Definitely. And that's part of our mission is really
1: to build a community where people do feel less alone in a time where they think they're supposed to have it all together. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's going to be super powerful. And our last question is where can people find you? Are there any events you want to plug, um, any, anything at all? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, um, I think the the best place to get help and support and um, learn more is the Dear Body podcast. And um, I'm on Instagram every single day at Jessie Jean. And um, yeah, that's where I hang out. is on Instagram and on the podcast. And then um, October second through the fourth, I am doing a live event that you are all invited to. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Three hundred women are going to come together from all over and we are going to experience breakthrough. We are going to cultivate confidence, breakthrough, body image challenges, food challenges, insecurities, Deeply rooted um, limiting beliefs, and it is it's going to be really really powerful. So that you can find more information um, about that at risewithmelive.com/2020.
0: Um, so yeah, th- that's where I'll be. Awesome! Thank you, Jesse, so so much Thank for you. being with us. You were absolutely unbelievable. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you guys so much. I'm so <laughs> I'm so excited for you guys and your audience to just um, have such incredible women providing them the resources that they need through their 20s. So thank you guys for having me on. It's been a pleasure.
0: And go check out Dear Body Podcast. Follow Jessie on Instagram. She has so many incredible resources. Her Instagram is unbelievably inspiring and beautiful. And we will see you guys on Monday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Roaring 20s Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together tune in every monday and friday for new episodes of roaring 20s podcast you get to start your week with us and end your week with us with with love Brenda brenda and julia